into the scriptures here tonight. Last few weeks, we looked at Daniel chapter 8, and um, we've been looking at that uh, vision that the Lord gave Daniel concerning, again, really history unfolding from his day to our day, and seeing, uh, again, in Daniel chapter 7, those four beasts representing those kingdoms that would come all the way to the end of the age with the Antichrist, and then last week, looking at the, the uh, ram with the two horns representing the Medo-Persian Empire and the Grecian Empire with the little horn representing Alexander the Great who would overtake them. And listen, it was all being prophesied before it would happen. And then we looked at, remember, Antiochus Epiphanes who would um, eventually, you know, rise up there in Greece who was a forerunner of the Antichrist. So just fascinating stuff. I mean, amazing prophecy that was prophesied about and fulfilled and in him we see a picture of the antichrist and it's really amazing how much the scripture talks about the antichrist and i think that it talks about that so that you know what when he appears people knows know who he is but i think it's also for us to see what the attributes of the antichrist are so that you know what we we can uh strive to abound in the lord and not be found walking in, in those attributes. You know, when I, when I read about the boastful tongue of the Antichrist, it, it, it really puts a proper perspective on our boasting. And you know, our flesh likes to boast. And when you look at the humility of Christ versus the boastfulness of the Antichrist, I don't know, for me, I, I think that's weighty. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I, I want to grow and be more like Jesus. I got a long way to go. But it's a far better life to live, and uh, there, there's just a lot more good in that. So we looked at that the last few weeks, and now, again, we come here to Daniel chapter 9, and uh, we'll see it's the first year of Darius and Cyrus, uh, who have now overtaken uh, Babylon and as prophesied, and we'll be reminded of those prophecies. And we're going to see Daniel in the Word of God. And as he's in the Word of God, the Lord, you know what? shows them again what had happened biblically what was happening and what was about to happen because israel was really in the 69th year of a 70 year captivity that was prophesied about and daniel saw this was the case because he was in the word of god he was reading those prophetic words that were uttered by jeremiah as the holy spirit moved upon him he understood the times he understood the days he had prophetic insight that very few had because very few were in the word and it moved him to really pray he really saw that the nation needed to be prayed for it needed to be interceded for and uh to be be lifted up and it's really a a, a, an intercession prayer of repentance and asking god forgiveness for the nation and so forth and i think there's a lot for us to glean from in this land that we're living in now and uh, we'll notice in this, one of the key things about his prayer is that he's not just saying, you know, them or they, but he's saying we. And it's beautiful. Daniel is a mighty man of God, and yet he knew he was a sinner as well. And uh, we see him as someone really first getting the logs, addressing the logs in his own eyes, uh, though we're hard-pressed to see any of those in Scripture And it's probably one of the reasons why we're hard-pressed to see them in Scripture, because he was a humble man of God. Uh, And and it really allowed him, though, to to pray for 
the nation. And uh, I think that's a key thing because it's easy for us to look around and say, man, our country's so messed up. And if we're truthful, we're messed up too, man. And outside of the grace of God, we have no hope. Uh, so I love Daniel's approach in this, and it's a biblical approach. So uh, let's get into it here. And uh, we've got a lot for us to unpack. And let's just start here in Daniel 9, verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, in the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And remember, this first year of Darius, and it's also the first year of Cyrus, because remember the Medo-Persian Empire collectively overthrew Babylon. This was prophetic. Uh, This happened according to prophecy. Um, We saw it prophesied about three different times before it came about. Starting in Daniel chapter 2, when the Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar that dream of the statue with the golden head and then the breastplate of silver and the arms of silver and the different metals all the way down. And we saw it was a dream of the empires that were going to rise up. And it was a prophecy that, yes, Nebuchadnezzar was that golden head of Babylon, but they would be overthrown. And remember, Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that, so he put a whole statue up that was golden. And you know what? In his rebellion, and you know what to say, well, I'm I'm not going to submit to that. But guess what? God's plans prevailed, didn't they? And God's prophetic word prevailed because, again, in that dream that he had, it was interpreted there. And I got these down before you the passages. I'll just touch on a few things in them. But in Daniel two verse thirty nine. Daniel said, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And the Medo-Persian Empire was inferior to the Babylonian Empire, but absolutely it still overthrew it. And it came about just as was prophesied uh, through Nebuchadnezzar's dream when Daniel was given the interpretation. And then Daniel himself, again in uh, chapter 7, was given a dream that paralleled Nebuchadnezzar's dream with more insight and more detail. And he saw, remember, those four beasts coming out of the sea. And that second one was like a bear that overthrew that first one that was like a lion. And again, it was a prophetic word that an empire was going to rise up and overthrow Babylon. And then we saw last week uh, another vision, another prophetic word giving to Daniel about a ram with two horns. And he was told specifically And this is in the third year of Belshazzar. So, again, none of this has unfolded yet. Uh, The Babylonian Empire is intact. And God showed uh, Daniel specifically that the Medo-Persian Empire was going to come next. And they would eventually would be overthrown by the Greek Empire uh, that was likened to uh, a goat with that horn. And it was a picture of Alexander the Great. And these things unfolded exactly as scripture said that they would even if you go back there to daniel chapter 5 and some of this is out of order but it is order because we're told when these things happen remember we kind of get an overview of babylon in the first six chapters uh or or the first five and then the first part of the medo-persian empire the in the uh, sixth chapter and then we start seeing the different visions that god gave daniel along that way And remember there in Daniel 5, Belshazzar, the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, is is the king. And the Medo-Persian Empire is kind of knocking on the door. They're outside of the Babylonian city. And Belshazzar has a great feast. 
And he has a great feast to indicate it doesn't matter that they're out here. Our walls are so high. And we have so many resources. They can be out there for years and they're never going to overthrow us. And then in the midst of that prideful party where they were drinking out of the vessels and eating off of the vessels that were once in the temple of God being used for worship God, in the midst of all that, remember, saw the handwriting on the wall. And he, his knees knocked and his loins loosened as he saw that. And he needed the interpretation and someone reminded him of Daniel. And Daniel gave the interpretation and basically it was, you've been weighed in the balance and found wanting. And tonight, this kingdom is going to be stripped from you. And absolutely, again, as it was prophesied, really the fourth time it happened. And listen, this is a reminder to us that God's word is prophetic and the prophecies of God's word are going to f- unfold as they're written in the scripture. And remember, Jesus said that, that not one jot or one tittle will go without being unfulfilled. And I think it's a real reminder to us in this day we're living in when we see prophecy unfolding around us. Do you guys realize we're living in Bible days? Bible days right now, man. You, you look at the Old Testament, or the, even, you know, Jesus and, and uh, Acts and so forth. Man, that'd be neat to live in Bible days. We're living in Bible days. These things are happening around us, are prophetic. Israel coming together in 1948. That is biblically prophetic. The love of many growing cold, the things we're seeing happening in the world, absolutely. And we need to know as the scripture, again, prophesies of Jesus coming and Jesus coming for his church, the reality of that needs to be before us. We can't come to the place where we've heard that so much, we become indifferent to it. And that's why it's even important that we look at passages like this that were prophesied and absolutely fulfilled to the T to remind us that Jesus is coming for his church. And absolutely the day is coming when that trumpet's going to blow and we're going to be caught up in the air with the Lord to be with him forever. It's going to be a glorious day. And that really should be the most pressing prophecy on our hearts as believers because Jesus reiterated it over and over again. It's reiterated over and over again in the scripture that the Lord's coming for his church and we should be watchful, we should be prayerful, and we should be about his business. And listen, having that before us is not something that, you know, you've heard that phrase, they're so heavily minded, they're of no earthly good. Listen, it should be something that, yes, gives us a heavenly mindset to help us and to encourage us as we got God's word before us and the prophecy that the Lord's coming for his church before us to stir us on to be of great earthly good, man, to be about the business of our Lord. And so listen, in this first year, a lot of things would happen in the first year of Darius. Uh, We'll see, Lord willing, next week that at the end of this prayer, God gives Daniel a prophetic word through Gabriel the angel about Israel's immediate future, the coming Christ, him being cut off, as well as the end of the age, as we'll look at Daniel's 70 70 weeks or 490 years, and we touch on that a little, we'll dive deep into it, Lord willing, next week. This would also be the year that Daniel would be thrown into the lion's den, and it would probably happen after this prayer, or I even have to wonder if this is the prayer that Daniel was praying when he went and opened up the window and then he eventually got thrown in the lion's den for praying when they said you can't pray and he said, well, I'll honor God over you. I'm going to pray because God called me to pray. 
And it would also be, again, at the end of this year, as we'll see this referred to tonight, that Cyrus would issue a decree for the Jews to be able to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple as was prophesied to the T by Jeremiah. 70 years of captivity, and then you'll get to go free. So notice here the next verse. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books and the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years and desolations of Jerusalem. Now, Daniel is very elderly at this point. He's in his 90s, maybe mid-90s at this point. Daniel has seen kings come and he's seen them go. We read about Nebuchadnezzar and we read about Belshazzar, but many historians say between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, there was four other kings. So he's seen up to six kings in Babylon. And now here's Darius and Cyrus. He's seen kings come and go. And yet he's still involved in political leadership through all of it. It's pretty amazing considering as a young boy, he was taken in to captivity, how God went before him as he put God first. And it's a great encouragement to us, no matter what, put the Lord first. It had served him well, that mentality as God had gone before him. He was also, though, still in captivity. He wasn't allowed just to leave, even in being in a high political place, and sometimes higher than others, he was still in captivity. And so, listen, despite his elderly age and all that he saw, despite still being a political leadership and still being captivity, you know what's awesome? Despite all of that and in light of all that, Daniel was still, this is awesome, he was still in the Word of God. Here he is again in his his 90s. And what's he doing? What do you find him doing? You find him in the Word of God. Listen, don't ever come to the place where you're not in the Word of God. Well, I've been in church for 30 years. Yeah, I've read the book three times. You know, I don't need to be it anymore. We need to be in the Word of God. A wise man who studied the Word his whole life. I don't know who it is, but it's been told to me more than once when he was on his deathbed. They asked about the study of the Word. You must be so learned. And he reached over and he scratched the Bible and he said, I'm just scratching the surface. Beautiful. And here's Daniel in the Word. He would be a man of the Word. And listen, it would serve him well. And we want to be in the Word because it will serve us well. 1 Timothy 4.16 says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. And doctrine is just a simple word for teaching, the teaching of the Word of God. Take heed to yourself and the teaching of the Word. He says, Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. Let's be a people continuing in the Word of God. And if you've gotten away from the Word, you need to get back in it. Because as Daniel's in the Word, he gets understanding of what's going on in the world he has an understanding of what's happened he has an understanding of what's happening and he's in the word of god he gets insight to what is about to happen because he's here reading jeremiah's prophecies and he comes across jeremiah's prophecies where it says specifically that the jews would be in the babylonian captivity for 70 years jeremiah 25 11 it says and this whole land shall be desolate and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of babylon 70 years and see jeremiah prophesied that 
before they were in captivity. He was calling the nation to repentance. He says, you're going to go into captivity. You need to repent. You need to cry out to God in hopes that this judgment would have come upon you. But listen, you're not going to repent. Didn't tell him that. Told him to repent. And he said, when you go into that captivity, it's going to be 70 years. Why 70 years? Because for 490 years, they hadn't allowed the land to rest every seventh year. Every seventh year, they were supposed to allow the land to rest. They weren't supposed to plant anything in the field. And God said, I'll provide for you in that year. It's a year where you don't have to work. Just take the year off. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful thing? Just take it off. Trust in me. I'll provide for you. But man, being so much smarter than God, said, no, we're not going to do that. We have to go farm the land. Well, they did that for 490 years. Well, hear this tonight. Listen, man can't rob God and not be held accountable. And they really rob God. And so notice 2 Chronicles 36.20, it says, And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon. Like talking about Nebuchadnezzar. It says, and, when they, and they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the king of Persia to fill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So for 490 years, they rebelled against God's call to say, hey, take a year off and don't work. <laughs> Shows how dumb we are, right? Shows how dumb sin makes you and so forth. And since you haven't done that, I'm going to take you into captivity for the next 70 years so the land can enjoy her Sabbaths. And as I was reading that, you know, piecing this together, I love that, so the land can enjoy her Sabbaths. In Christ Jesus, do you know how we celebrate the Sabbath? In the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath. We have our rest in the Lord. We've ceased from works. We're saved by grace through faith. And I love it. The Lord said, I'm going to take you into captivity so the land can enjoy your Sabbaths. And you know what that tells me? We're called to enjoy our Sabbath. We're called to be people who enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a glorious thing? A lot of people are running around trying to find enjoyment. I want to find something I can enjoy and be part of. There is nothing better than enjoying your risen Lord, who He is and how much He loves you and how awesome He is and learning more about Him and getting to know Him more. If you've gotten away from that, get back to it, enjoying your Lord. Now listen, this captivity, it was done for their good, and it was also done for our good, as the Lord knew the end from the beginning. Notice Jeremiah 29.10. A lot of times people just skip to Jeremiah 29.11. But notice Jeremiah 29.10. Again, this was prophesied far before these things happened. It says, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. And then notice 11 in context, for I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you'll seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found, for you, found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from the nations and from the places where I've driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. 
And so when they were going into captivity or beforehand, it was told to them, you're going to go into captivity, but listen, don't get overwhelmed by it. The Lord says, I'm going to use it for your good. From your viewpoint, you're going to say, this isn't good. Going into captivity, what's happening to our nation, this can't be a good thing. This isn't good. But God says, no, it's going to be good. I'm going to work it for your good. And you need to know the thoughts I have towards you. They're thoughts of peace and not evil. These are thoughts to give you a future and a hope. Do you know we can claim this promise as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? We can claim it on this day to day where we can look and easily go, this isn't good. And listen, there's a lot that I would say, yeah, it, it, it isn't good. It doesn't look good. But I know this. I know the thoughts the Lord speaks to me. And I know the thoughts the Lord has for you as followers of Christ. Listen, the thoughts he has towards us are thoughts of peace and not evil to give us a future and hope in Christ Jesus. We have a glorious future and hope no matter what comes our way. And absolutely, God works all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. And that's us in the Lord. And so again, this was happening for their good. Let's remember that when trials come along and so forth. And so here's Daniel, you know, at not just 70 years later, but more than that from when Daniel, when Jeremiah prophesied this, probably 80 to maybe 100 years before, somewhere in there. And he's reading this, and he's recognizing, wow, it was prophesied that after 70 years of this desolation, we come back in the land, and Daniel's realizing that it's the 69th or perhaps the 70th year. And he's recognizing as well that they had a call to call upon the Lord. And as we get deeper in this, Daniel acknowledges we haven't done that. We're in captivity and we haven't been doing that. And so one prophet prophesied and another prophet said, it's time for us to go to the Lord and cry out to him because he said he's going to hear us. And so you see these prophecies incredibly coming together And Daniel's getting this insight because he's in the Word of God. Again, he says that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. And indeed, in that 70 years, there was a desolation. The temple was destroyed. They were in captivity. And now here's the year of freedom. And it's beautiful as well because it was also prophesied who specifically would free them. It would be Cyrus the king of the Persians who ruled with Darius, the king of the Medes as prophesied in the scripture. And if you go to Ezra 1.1, you can read specifically in that first year of Cyrus, it was also the first year of Darius, that he issues a decree according to the word of Jeremiah to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And we'll take it either step farther because there's another prophet named Isaiah who was around before Jeremiah or Daniel or Ezekiel, way before Cyrus was even born, about 150 years before, and God told Isaiah that this would happen, and he even named the name of the king before he was ever even thought of by his grandparents. Who knows if his parents were even born? Probably not. A couple generations down, that this is going to be the guy that frees them at that time. Isaiah 44, 28, it says, Who says of Cyrus... He is my shepherd, and he shall perform my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, 
you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Listen, if you really get into the scripture and you really investigate the prophetic, supernatural words of the word of God, you really have to harden your heart hard to deny God's prophetic word, man. And it's amazing over the years how many folks have set out to try to disprove the scripture only to come to be believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beautifully. So it's interesting. God would raise up Babylon really specifically to take Israel into captivity. But he also gave them a prophetic word about what would happen to them after that. Go back to Jeremiah 25, 11. It says, and this whole land shall be a desolation and astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It says in verse 12, Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. And absolutely, Babylon, they would be rough concerning the Jews during that captivity. And I'll tell you, there's a great truth. If you bless Israel, you'll be blessed. But if you're cursor, you'll be cursed. Genesis 12, 3. And yes, for a while they were on top, but the day of their judgment came. And this is a warning to us. Listen, you get in that place where you're on top. You get in that place where you're the boss. You get in that place where you're the one with the power. There is a greater judgment that comes with that. And James, I won't read it, but in James 5, 1 through 6, it talks about, it says, Woe to you who are rich who withholds the, wor- the, the wages of the people. And it talks about how your silver and gold are going to cry out as a judgment against you. So let's make sure in the blessings that God gives to us, we're using those to glorify God. We're using those to minister to others. And we're not using those things to puff up our chest and oppress others because there's a great judgment that comes with that. And Babylon, again, for a season would be on top, but because of their actions, a great judgment will come upon them. I think we also got to remember that in light of just the, the, the setting of the world today. Listen, there's a lot of people in high places. There's a lot of kings that take counsel together to come against the word of the Lord and his anointed one, Psalm chapter 2. In fact, I might read that here in a bit. And... Yet it says that God holds them in derision and God laughs at them. And it says that God has set his Christ upon Zion. And we want to remember that, listen, these people need to repent. And if they don't, a day is coming when they're going to be judged by God Almighty. And it can really just help you to, you know, take a load off. Because as followers of Christ, we should be a people who want to see justice. And when you see great injustices in the world, And you see people in high places shaking their fists to God and going against all of the counsel of the word of God and then calling upright. I don't know about you, but that angers me. That provokes my spirit. Remember Paul, Sunday, we read about him going into Athens and his spirit was provoked by the idolatry there in Athens. But that's where we want to step back and have a biblical viewpoint. Yeah, I'm provoked by this. I want to be angry, but I don't want to sin. I want to pray. I want to preach. I want to be about the business of God. And I also want to take a load off knowing 
God's calling men to repent now. That's what we want to see. But these that want to kick against God, the Bible says, the Lord says, judgment is mine or vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And God's going to, everyone's going to stand before God one day. And you see again, these kings of the world, I don't think that's necessarily just presidents and kings. I think it's like the days of Noah where it talks about men of renown, these certain names, these people, uh, Silicon Valley. Those, those are the people that seem like they're running the country right now, you know. For goodness sakes, we're in a pandemic and we got a computer guy telling us, you know, well, why are we following? Who's this guy? Haven't had a Bill Gates reference in a while from up here. I, I won't go on a rant. But you don't see these people seeking God. You don't see him pointing people to Jesus Christ. You start looking at the track record and so forth, and you see these horrendous things, you know. I saw the other day that Bill Gates is the largest owner of farmland in America now. I'm like, oh, man, what in the world? <laughs> you know, the conspiracy just starts spinning in your mind. What, what are they going to do next? <laughs> We're all going to stand before God, though. And Babylon was on top for a long time, and then they had their foot on the neck of God's people, but God's people prevailed, and eventually they had to give an account before God Almighty. And that should be something that strikes the fear of God in all of our hearts. Verse 3, and we'll pick it up a little faster. It says, Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make a request by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Again, Daniel was a man of prayer all his days, and he's in the Word of God The word of God stirs his heart to take his prayer even to another level. As he's reading the word of God, it stirs his heart to set his face towards the Lord. To set his face towards heaven. Also, though, to set his face towards Jerusalem. Remember, we read there uh, in, in Daniel 6 that he opened his windows and prayed towards Jerusalem because Solomon had given a prophetic word that if you go into captivity because of your sin, if you turn your face towards Jerusalem and humble the heart before God, God will hear your prayer. And again, it's why it makes me think that perhaps this prayer was prayed during that perhaps even week or days, whatever it was, when Daniel said you can't pray to God, and if you pray to God, you'll be thrown in the lion's den. But he opened his windows towards Jerusalem to pray to God. So he prayed to the Lord set his face toward the Lord, no doubt practically more so though, though, though inwardly. It's a, a 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, but the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And it was with that kind of hard attitude. He made prayer, he made supplication, and really again what he was doing was responding to that prophetic word given by Jeremiah for them to cry out to God. 70 years are going to pass, but you're going to, cry out to me and I'll hear your prayers and so he's really standing in the gap interceding for the nation and hear this tonight God is looking for those people right now on the face of this earth second chronicles 16 9 for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who heart whose heart is loyal to them I want to be one of those people as the Lord looks and he says can I find someone to stand in the gap Can I find someone that will intercede? Can I find someone who will pray? So much emphasis today on politicians. We need the right politician. No, we need to get on our knees and pray. And he did it with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. It's a picture of humility. 
He's humbling his heart before the Lord. He's denying his flesh. James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. And I'll tell you something about fasting, something about humbling yourself. Really, it makes you more effective or I think it makes you a vessel that can move in the power of the Holy Spirit in a much, you know, a broader way because there's more dependency of God in that. Listen, when you don't eat, you start realizing how frail you are, you know? You start realizing as you, you kind of feel weak and parched and so forth. And then it moves you to have a greater dependency. I think there, there's just at a, 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 a times a, a greater awakening that happens in your spirit that you need God. And it's interesting, as I, as I was looking at this, I thought about Samson. And I thought about Samson in Judges 15 where he takes the jawbone of a donkey and he goes and he slays a thousand Philistines. I love that story growing up as a kid, right? You going to do that as a Christian? Well, no, no, got to look at this in context and so forth. But after he did that in Judges 15, 18, it says, then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? And it was like the Lord was showing him, yeah, you think you have this strength, but you're nothing. <laughs> it was God humbling him. In the midst of that thirst. And I'll tell you, when we humble our hearts through fasting and so forth, there, there, there is a, a more of awareness in us of how much we need God and absolutely is the fulfillment of humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He'll lift you up. So like Daniel, let's be a people of the Word in this day. Let's be a people of prayer. And I'll tell you, wonderful things happen in that. Jesus said in John 14, 13, Whatever you ask in my name, I'll do. Well, how do we know how to ask in Jesus' name? We get in the word of God. That's just like I say my prayer and sign up Jesus. You know, I know, I know how to sign Jesus' name. The Lord knows a forgery. <laughs> it means I'm praying according to the word of God. And it's a powerful thing when we're in the word and we're a people of prayer, and those things come together. Verse 4, and I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Notice how his prayer starts. It starts with praise. O Lord, great and awesome God. It doesn't start with, God, we're in captivity, and we got to get out of here. What are you going to do, God? But no, O Lord, great and awesome God. I love it. Right out of the gate, we're going to give praise to God. Jesus said in John, or excuse me, Matthew 6, 9, In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And listen, when we do this, we're, we're, we're actually walking in our chief purpose. We're glorifying God. Listen, no matter what's going on in the world, our chief purpose is to glorify God, to minister to God. To lift up the name of the Lord. Again, even when no fruit is on the vine, Habakkuk said, I will praise your name. And don't let the enemy rob you of your chief purpose. I see this stuff going on, and I think it's the rebel in me. It's all the more, well, I'm going to praise God. You give a blaspheme God, I'm going to praise God. I'm going to lift up his name all the more. Listen, it also, though, sets our heart in order. To build our faith in the midst of these roaring lions around us. Again, he's in captivity. (laughs) 
the 70th year. And as he just begins to praise God, no doubt it was a reminder to him, in light of their circumstances, God is great and God is awesome. The midst of the things going on in the world today, as you praise God, we see all this stuff going on. I get stuff sent to me and emailed to me all the time. Someone sent me an email the other day of some junior congressman and he laid all this stuff out. And it's, it's just probably one of the most antichrist things I've seen laid out. Basically almost to the point of we're going to go and punish you if you follow God. And, and this is his agenda that he's bringing in. And you look at that and you're like, man, that's, that, what if they did this? This is overwhelming. Well, we need to pray. But I want to start my prayer with, oh, not with, oh, Lord, this junior congressman's going to, gonna, he's going to wipe us out. No, my God's great and awesome. He's a great and awesome God. God, great and awesome. Junior congressman, not so much. Psalm 2, I go to this so often. This is a commentary on our world today. Psalm 2, 1. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed or against his Christ. What's going on in the world? This. The kings of the earth. The men of renown. Silicon Valley. These billionaires. That's who's controlling this nation now. You, you, you think it's Joe Biden? You're delusional. And what do they do? They take counsel together against the Lord and his Christ. Saying, let us break off their bonds and pieces and cast away their cords from us. This, we're, we're headed to Babel 2.0. You, you ain't gonna, you're not going to put a restraint on us. We're going to cast that off. We're going to do as we will. Which is the motto of Satanism. But notice verse 4. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. People down here panic. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, the inauguration. God is laughing. See, when you're in God's word, you get insight to what's really going on. God shall hold them in derision. That means he's going to bring a judgment on them. Going to bring a confusion on them. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. I'm so blessed to be in Christ to know he speaks to me in his love. We're not appointed to his wrath. And shall distress them in his deep displeasures. It's easy to look at these people and say, oh man, they have so much freedom. and oh, They're in bondage. The scripture says there is no peace for the wicked. God is distressing them in deep displeasures. Here we are tonight outside and whatnot. I'm, I'm loving it outside. God's working, in, in my opinion, for good, for us. But you, you look at a Gavin Newsom, and, you know, we see him going out and eating and doing all this stuff, and it's easy to, to think, man, you know, the, you know what it's to do is, um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what to do, but I'm not going to do it type of thing. I guarantee you that dude's in deep distress. With all these companies leaving California, the tax base, you know, all that tax leaving and so forth. 
he might want to come out and try to sound like Batman with his raspy voice and so forth. I'm not buying that either. It's like, why does this guy get that cool voice? You know, this is something wrong here and so forth. You know? (laughs) I guarantee you that dude is in deep distress. I think it's all the more encouragement for us to pray for him that he'd come to his wits end and say, I got to cry out to Jesus Christ. I need to quit listening to Aunt Nancy. I need to call out to Jesus Christ. And then verse 6, he says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. The, the kings are coming together. Let's ca- cast off his counsel. God's laughing. He says, just slow down. I've set my king on his holy hill in Zion. Jesus Christ is on the throne tonight. And again, he keeps his covenant with those who love him. Do you love him tonight? He keeps his covenant with us. Verse 5, he says, in the prayer, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Notice, he doesn't say, Lord, they have. We have. Think about the Lord's prayer. It's full of us's and we's. It's Daniel not saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm a prophet. I'm above them. No, it's him saying, Lord, we have. I'm not just praying about the specks in the eyes of your people. Get the logs out of my eyes as well. Verse 6, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and the people of the Lamb. They shun Isaiah. They shun Jeremiah. They shun Ezekiel. We don't want to listen to what you guys are saying. Captivity? No way. Tell us good things. Tell us how we're going to prosper. And those false prophets were abundant. Back Jeremiah 5.30 says, An astonishing and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own power. And my people love to have it so, but what will you do in the end? I noticed this past year a lot of prophets prophesying that Trump would have another four years. And they were celebrating. Oh, we love what you're saying. Tell us more. And listen, like I said last week, I, I applaud the pro-life things that Trump did and the pro-Israel things. Beautiful. I think he's the most pro-life president we've ever had. Maybe the most pro-Israel president we've ever had. Dude's deeply flawed, though, as we all are. I think did a lot to divide things. Could have, you know, tempered that voice, that, those words a little bit. There's a better way of saying that, you know. But I think a lot of the folks celebrating those prophets, it was the idea of we want to prosper here on earth. It's been a prosperous three years and three months up until the germ, right? And I think a lot of those folks were like, yeah, well, I want to keep prospering here. I like what you're saying here because I've prospered economically under this. We're going to celebrate you. We, oh, yeah, you, we hear those prophecies. Then a lot of guys saying, well, I was wrong about that. Can I still prophesy? Because <laughs> in the midst of that, there have been a few voices saying, guys, we need to repent. The church is messed up. We need to collectively humble our hearts. It's easy to look at the nation around us and see all these problems. We're messed up. Judgment begins with the house of God. 
we become a Laodicean church. Oh, we don't want to hear that. We, we, no, we don't. Don't tell us that stuff. Boo! You're judgmental. Go away. Quit judging everyone. Well, you're judging them by saying they're judging. Think about it. Again, I, I, I want to see our country prosper. Anyone here tonight want to move to Venezuela? Those poor folks down there in North Korea? Those poor people. And listen, there's some that think what's happening here is what happened there. I, you know what? Time will play out. But I know there's been a lot of false prophets in the land that people plod and said, tell us what we want to hear. And Daniel saying, we need to repent because we plugged our ears to the real prophets of God. We haven't listened to them. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face, as it is to this day, the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off, and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. You're righteous, we're sinful. He's saying it's a shameful thing of what we've done. We haven't listened to the prophets. We've done our own thing. Really, it's a fulfillment of they were the head and now they've become the tail. And that's a shameful thing. You know what I thought of though when I read this? I thought, you know what? I've done a lot of shameful things, a lot of sinful things in my life. But praise God, Jesus has borne my sin and Jesus has also borne my shame. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us has endured the cross, despising or disregarding the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. On that cross, he bore our sin, and he bore our shame. It's a shameful thing to die the death that he died. He died the death of a criminal, a man without sin, beaten and torn and completely exposed up there. And you know in that what he was doing? He was bearing your shame. Not a glorious thing. Get liberated by that tonight. We've all done a lot of shameful things, haven't we? This prayer isn't just about Daniel praying, we're ashamed to face. It's about him acknowledging that, but bringing that to the Lord, asking for forgiveness and restoration. And listen, that's what Jesus offers. Those things you've done in your life that you're ashamed of, listen, know that The Lord paid the penalty of that. He took that shame on you, upon me, upon himself, so we could be liberated and we could be freed. And that should cause our hearts all the more to want to glorify him and honor him and depart from iniquity to serve him and walk with him all our days. And we better not be ashamed of him. (laughs) Nine, and to the Lord our God belongs mercies and forgiveness Though we have rebelled against him. Again, praise God for his mercy. His forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, you've made yourself a name 
as it is this day. We have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins for the iniquity of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people are a reproach to those around us. Again, as you delivered us before, Lord. I didn't miss a page, did I? Oh, my goodness, did it again. I think I did it again. Quickly, verse 7, or be verse 10. He says, we've not obeyed your voice, our God, to walk in his laws, which he has set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse of the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us, against our judges who joined us, by bringing upon us a great distress or disaster for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done in Jerusalem. You go back to Deuteronomy 28 when they entered the covenant. God said, obey me, I'm going to bless you. But if you disobey me, you're going to be cursed. And one of those curses included being taken into captivity if they continue to shun the word of God. And he's saying, You've confirmed your word. It's like we were doing it. We didn't believe it was true or we lost the fear of God. The fear of God is you believe God's word's true. And when you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and you don't think there's going to be a chastening, you've lost the fear of God at that moment. And he says, you've confirmed your word. It is true. Disasters come upon us because of our rebellion. Verse 13, as it's written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Notice here, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. And again, he's reading the word. And he reads Jeremiah prophesying, 70 years are going to pass. And when you seek after me, I'm going to hear you and return to the land. And he's saying, we haven't done that. What have you been doing for the last 70 years, guys? And so he's saying, I got to, I got to pray to God. I got to cry out to the Lord. We need to make our prayer before the Lord. Because we haven't done that. That we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept disaster in mind. That's something here. Because they hadn't repented, the Lord kept disaster in mind. I don't want disaster from the Lord. I don't even want the Lord thinking about disaster concerning my life to chasten me. The woodshed ain't fun. Isn't it so much better just to confess and be cleansed and rejoice? You're like, but I already did that once. Keep doing it. (laughs) Listen, some stuff it takes years to work through. and God's patient. Praise God for his patience. But brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And listen, there's a great truth here. Listen, disaster comes upon nations when they turn from God. They turn from God and disaster came upon them. Again, we go back to our nation. We're not Israel, and don't get that confused. But this nation was founded 
on a lot of godly truths and principles. And yes, it's a mixed, mixed, you know what, kind of bag of nuts where you got some of these deists and Freemasons and so forth, but a lot of believers too. It's almost like two threads of, of the two of them through the, through the history of our country. It's very fascinating. Even when you compare Jamestown to Plymouth, kind of mindset both those places, and these threads kind of run in at the same time, and you look what's happening to our country. There's, there's disastrous things happening in this country. It's like disaster, like a judgment. It's a thing where if you keep hardening your heart, eventually God gives you over. And hear this tonight, hear this. Listen, this disaster isn't going to be fixed via White House, no matter who's in it. You know how it's going to be fixed? Through the house of mourning. Through repentance. James 4, verse 8, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humper yourself on the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. And listen, that needs to start with the body of Christ. Listen, the guy I voted for didn't didn't win. But one thing I know tonight, no matter who's in there, we got a serious sin problem in this country. I think it's incredibly even prideful of us to say we wanted our guy to win because we felt like we would prosper more from that. Versus at some point stepping back and going, man, God's been so good to us. Do we really deserve any of this? Really, we don't deserve any blessings from God. And again, I'm, I love our country. I love our state. I want to see it prosper. But if it's just prospering economically and spiritually, we're void and tanking. What's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses a soul? I mean, with all the abortions, and I, I heard a thing the other day in the first three weeks of, of, of 2021, more babies have been aborted in our country than everyone that's died from the C-19. Like the fake stats of like 400,000, not the real ones. In the first three weeks. Might have been, it might have been the world. A lot though. And then we're standing, wait a minute, we're supposed to be blessed with all this stuff. It sounds like the church of Laodicea. If we just have riches, we, we don't need you, Jesus. You can just stay on the outside there. <laughs> and don't get me wrong. Listen, I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm not saying we go hide in a corner somewhere politically. I'm not saying that. <laughs> we haven't been called to that. But there's a reality check here that, that we need to take heed to. Disaster comes upon nations that turn their back to God. And then when you start hearing of even people that say they're born-again Christians, even celebrating the guy that's in there, I get it if you don't like the guy that was there, but then you're going to take it so far. I'm celebrating this day. Dude signing in things today to promote transgenderism. 
going to put boys with wigs or long hair on the softball field and basketball court with my daughters. What the heck? You're celebrating that? You think that's upright? That's satanic is what that is. Signing in all this abortion stuff and all this. This is satanic. You going to take pride in that? Collectively, we need to humble our hearts and repent. Again, 69 years, 70 years of captivity, and there have been no formal repentance. And now Daniel's saying, we better acknowledge, we need to repent. And listen, we go back to 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That's not the world. They're not God's people. That's us. Oh, America, we're God's people. Nonsense. Followers of Christ are God's people. And there's a remnant of them in this land. We need to humble ourselves and repent. Or he says, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. This ain't talking about the national day of prayer once a year. Oh, we're going to pray. No, this is seeking God every day. This is us repenting today. This is seeking God's face today. Every year we get a call. Are you doing something for the National Day of Prayer? I go, we, we pray all the time here. What are you talking about? <laughs> National Day of Prayer. Every day should be that. Quickly here. I already read this before. Verse 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we've sinned, we have done wickedly. Again, we have, he says. Daniel's one of the most righteous men in the scriptures. In fact, at one point, I can't remember where it is in scripture, but God says if Job, Daniel, and Noah all prayed to intercede, I won't even hear him because of the judgment that's coming on you. I'm paraphrasing it. Like, dude, you're like top three. And he's like, the, ju- the wickedness we've done. He says, O Lord, according to your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sin for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people are a reproach to all those around us. So in other words, he says, I'm coming before you, not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of your track record of mercy and your righteousness. And that's a wonderful thing. Because even if we start interceding and it's like, God, but we've been doing some good stuff. No, Lord, we come because you're righteous and merciful. And we need to pray that for our country. Lord, where sin bounds, grace aboundeth more. You're righteous, you're merciful. Grant us grace and mercy, God. Forgive us, God. Be merciful to us, Lord. Verse 17, now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and the supplication for the Lord's sake Cause your face to shine in your sanctuary, which is desolate. Again, listen, God hears the prayers of his servants. He doesn't listen to lip service. Cause your face to shine on us. And that's all the difference in the world when God shines his face on you. And sometimes I think we think, well, God will shine his face on us if we do A, B, C, and D. And it really starts by us just confessing sin before God and repenting. 
Daniel understood if we just really repent, God's face will shine right now. Right now, he'll shine his face. What's hindering that? It's, it's my sin, but if I bring it and just, Lord, here I am, boom, it all lights up. I love what I hear it once said, you can be a million, a million miles from the Lord, but it's only one step back. Verse 18, can you imagine if just the church collectively, we all just said, we need to repent. We all just quit all the political chatter. Quit engaging in all the nonsense on social media. And just said, listen, let's just repent. Let's intercede. Let's just start with our own hearts. Let's just start with the logs in our own eyes just personally. And then just start praying. Start humbling our heart. Listen, you get your eyes on, on, you get your eyes on men, you're going to get cocky. You get your eyes on Jesus and you get humbled. And God's opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. This is greatly encouraging. Please help us. Again, not because of us, but because of you. And hear this. Our prayers aren't effective because of our prayers. They're effective because of who we're praying to. Verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city, for your people who are called by your name. Again, three times, O Lord, hear, forgive, listen and act. For your own name's sake, but also for the sake of your city and your people. And you know what's beautiful? That tonight in Christ, we're his people called by his name. That's who we are. We're, we're the people of God. Isn't that glorious? So it's all the more we should be encouraged in this. What a great passage. To, you know, I, 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 I chuckle when I see God's timing on these things. I, I just think it's a, I don't think we could have a better passage before us in all of scripture tonight. And I hope there's great encouragement for us. And listen, as I talk about this stuff, please know Man, I love our nation. I love our state. I pray, I, I, I pray for our presidents. I, I hope you guys know when I talk about this political stuff, it's not to divide. It's not to try to shame anybody. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be real. I'm trying to be faithful to what God's putting on my heart to share in the things he's showing me in the word of God. And I hope you're finding encouragement from it. I hope and pray if there's rebukes in it that... that, that you know, if it's from the Lord, that you take it to heart and allow the Lord to, to, to free up. Because, man, it's just so easy to get brought into bondage with all this stuff. We're free tonight in the Lord. We're free. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you glory. We thank you for your word. You're so good to us, Lord. And, Lord, I just thank you, God, that indeed you sent your son. And, Jesus, I thank you that you bore our sin. And, Lord, I thank you that you bore our shame. Lord, let us rejoice in that tonight. Let us rejoice in who you are tonight. And let us be found a people, God, that would stand in the gap, that would make intercession. A people, God, that would be thankful and appreciative of what you've given to us, God. A people, God, that would grow and abound, Lord, in our love for you and in our love, God, for our country, God, and 
Lord, not just some of the people in this country, but all of them. Knowing that you want to see them born again and get saved, God. So grant us great grace and mercy. And listen, if you haven't called upon Christ tonight, today's the day of salvation. Don't put them off. Jesus stands ready to wash you and cleanse you and be your Lord and Savior. And the word says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, bless the rest of our night. We thank you, God, for a beautiful evening. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. God bless you.